When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And as we, as we record this show on Pep Guardiola's 50th birthday, happy birthday, Pep, after half a season of underperformance, half a season lacking in goals, half a season of Manchester City not being the force they were a couple of seasons ago, we find the Blues in second position, two points behind the leaders with a game in hand. Well, wow, how on earth did that happen? To help us to understand that, I've got three guests, one of whom was just far too young to make any meaningful contribution last week to our special tribute to Colin Bell, but the other two did see him play. So we might well just start with asking them their reflections of the great Colin Bell. Uh, I don't think we'll do too much of that. Uh, They are, of course, youngster Dave Hodgson. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Good evening. And we've also got uh, the positive, the elderly, Steve Cox. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nigel. And the middle-aged Tony Ugrosh. Hi, Tony. Fair enough. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm going to start with you, Tony, and then come on to Steve, because we, we did do a special last week with uh, three excellent, four, in fact, excellent guests. Um, and I just thought maybe give you the opportunity also to maybe add your three penny within about uh, the great Colin Bell. T- Tony, your thoughts and reflections, because I know you, you were fortunate enough as a very young man to see him play. I was just about. Thank you. First of all, thank you very much for the podcast last week. It was very poignant. I think I can only reiterate the comments that were made. What a great player. What a great ambassador for the club and for football as a whole. And I was fortunate to be there in, uh, what was it, Boxing Day 1977 when Colin made his comeback after the best part of two years. And it still, to this moment, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck just thinking about that noise. I was too young at the time to really understand it but sadly now it it only highlights what an incredible talent and how highly thought of he was so I miss him I thank him for that moment he will stick with me for the rest of my life and it was a privilege to be there and to to witness him at the time lovely thank you for that Steve your thoughts yeah I mean I I was quite young um, when I first saw Colin Bell because I started supporting City in 1974 
at the tender age of six. Um, but, you know, I really saw him mainly on, on telly at the time. But I used to watch with my dad's friend and he was telling me what a great player he was. And he was actually something to be admired. If, if he'd have been around now, he would have absolutely loved playing on the kind of pitches we have now, given the fact that, you know, in the early 70s, those pitches were absolutely shocking. But he still looked the far, by far the best player on the pitch whenever I saw him play. It's very sadly missed. And Dave, your great-granddad probably told you about him, did he? Well, whilst I can't give you the anecdotes that the venerable Messrs Cox and Newgrosh have been able to uh, provide us, and of course, you know, the wonderful podcast last week, um, you know, it's clear to see from the emotion that um, Colin Bell has engendered in, you know, fans of a certain generation, that this was a particularly special player who seems to have, you know, touched everyone who's watched him play. And I kind of feel, you know, in this modern era where you have, you know, high-performance pitches, everything set up for the game to be played at such a fast pace with such, you know, wonderful technical players, it's easy to forget sometimes, you know, the the players who went before, you know, these players of quality who have, you know, exactly the same effect on the fans. And, you know, it's a really, you know, it's been fascinating to see fans who watched him play and the veneration with which he was held. And it's clear that we're talking about a real club legend here. Fantastic. And, and maybe, Dave, you can just start off with, with kind of a, a bit of football that we've played recently. Uh, we've had victories against Palace and Brighton since we last recorded. Um, Brighton seems such a long time ago now, and uh, we just scraped through. I think I'd like to focus on Palace if we can, because it was more recent, and it was a 4-0 victory. And uh, just kind of your your thoughts and reflections on that game, and maybe we'll we'll touch on some of the individual performances as well. I think what we're seeing is a side that's really starting to find its confidence again. And it's clear that there's a slightly different blueprint going on this year. Maybe we're a bit more focused on the defence. Um, and, you know, there's clearly this huge amount of confidence that's been built up in the central defensive partnership. I think we're seeing that more and more each week. You know, players are feeling, you know, that bit more creative. We're seeing, you know, Gundogan, De Bruyne. These players are really finding, you know, opportunities to create. And they're doing that with the confidence that, whether it's with Fernandinho or Rodri holding and the two centre-backs, you know, they've become such a strong partnership. We're seeing that sort of um, creativity has really been unleashed by the security they're feeling from the players who sit behind them. So it was really good to see effectively some of that creativity, some of that genius we have in the midfield coming back to the fore again and allowing us to play on the front foot because we just feel, feel that little bit more confident with what's going on behind. So it was a really encouraging performance to see and we're starting to see some of that fluidity that really came to define us in the first couple of seasons with Pep. Uh, and that's right, isn't it, Steve? We've got the situation where it kind of was more reminiscent of the city of old, which I kind of touched on in the introduction, and, and putting four goals past teams, which we've not done that often during this season. No, we, we, we've kind of been a little bit sticky at times, but I think it looks like Pep went back to basics um, when, you know, the, the days when um, Mancini first took over, one of the first things he did was improve us defensively. And I think all good teams are actually built on a very solid defence. We haven't had to worry about that too much. Whilst we had Vincent company because he provided a particularly good core and nucleus to the team. So our defence was still pretty good, but it's the first time we've really had to rebuild our defence properly since um, company left. And I think, you know, we, that gives the, the other players the confidence to, to move forward and play. Ed, Edison combined with Stones and Diaz seems to be an, an absolute unit at the moment and, and nothing seems to be able to breach them. What pleased what you most of all, Tony, from the performance against Palace? There was an incisiveness in the team, wasn't there? Um, 
we went one nil up and we never ever eased off at that point it was really a question of how many and as we said we took our chances and at no point did we look like conceding i don't think palace had a single shot on target in the whole game and we made it look very very easy it was a very controlled performance no injuries i don't think there was a single booking or anything it was just we're going to win this and we're going to move on and it was everything you expect from a team who I sincerely hope and deserve to be at the moment champions come the end of the season. Can we pick up some of the individual performances then? And John Stones, who's used all parts of his body recently to score goals, he, he scored with his, his dick a week or so ago, I think, and he's now got a header, <laughs> and uh, it was his left foot, wasn't it? His second, John Stones scoring two goals, and, and what a performance, what a commanding performance. He's he's just been transformed. I mean, Dave, just just let's wax lyrical about John Stones for, for a few minutes. What a, what a transformation. It's it's remarkable. I mean, I'd certainly say, and I think quite a few others would have said that we wouldn't have been upset to see him leave in the summer. And full credit to the man, he's really turned it around. He's clearly found something in this partnership with Diaz that allows them both to get you know the best out of each other. I think you know maybe Diaz has a bit more of that leadership credentials, and it's given um, Stones a bit more of a sense of where he should be. He's perhaps cutting out some of the. Um, the thrills around his game, which played him into trouble. He's much more um, sure about what he's doing. He doesn't seem to uh, have too much uncertainty or try anything too fancy that's causing him to risk losing the ball. And, you know, he also seems to be, you know, it was notable how bit much of a threat he was providing in the, in the um, penalty box from, from corners um, yes, yesterday. And I think that was a, something we've always said we'd be missing and he's been adding a lot there too. So, it's great to see, you know, a player who, for all accounts, could have sort of tapped out, could have taken a move somewhere else, but stayed. He's fought for his place, and he's looking, you know, he's looking like, you know, he's been playing in this side, in this style for the last, you know, last ten years or so. He's he's visibly matured as a player, and it's been to the huge benefit of the team to have a player who they can trust in that kind of way. Steve, I'm keen to get your view as well on Stones. Before you maybe do give me that general view, I read somewhere that it was mentioned that because there are empty stadiums, uh, it has actually helped his game because he has been prone to mistakes in the past. And somebody wrote that they feel quite strongly that the empty stadiums, has, he's one of those players that that has helped. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Um, I also think the major thing that has really helped um, John Stones is having somebody like Diaz next to him. Um, and I think that has given him an awful lot of confidence. Diaz is he's a very much a talker. And you can hear him talking and encouraging all through the game. And I think that's what actually Stones needs to help him. And I, and I think he seems to have got that. My only criticism of um, John really at the moment is he didn't go on to score a perfect hat-trick at the weekend, to be fair. <laughs> um, I think he should have done, really. Um, but he, he seems to be a changed person. He's obviously sorted out his private life um, and it's starting to reflect on the field. And he could, he could have so easily just gone off somewhere and um, disappeared up a back alley. But he seems to really be coming to the fore at the moment and, and I, I can't see Laporte getting back into the team instead of those two So Tony is that right what's your view of Laporte I mean how long will he keep him out for if he carries on playing you can't see Pep dropping him can you surely No it's quite extraordinary really I think at the beginning of the season if anyone would have suggested that Laporte would be our third choice centre half I think you'd have fallen off your chair laughing um, but it's a performance-based business, and at the moment, I think you have to say we have our nailed on first 
two-choice centre-halves. That said, there's an awful lot of games to play, and Laporte will play his part in that. I am absolutely sure that he still has a very important role to play at City. So it's great to have the competition, and compared to last season when we had everyone's grandmother playing at centre-half, it felt like at times, it's, it's something to be welcomed. Uh, we'll come on to the goals themselves uh, in a second, but just I want to talk about pick out another couple of players who continue to impress Tony. Uh, one of them is a fellow called De Bruyne. You may well have heard of him. Um, and nah. the other one is all right. We'll, we'll try Ilkay Gundogan then. He's uh, he's maybe someone you might remember. He's a sort of German of, of uh, Turkish descent, I believe. But uh, he's. Uh, yeah. Again, it was suggested that actually he is becoming more of Silva's replacement and, and maybe not Foden. Uh, Foden, who's, I've always said, I prefer a more attacking role anyway than the one Silva uh, played in. But, 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 but maybe the reason we've had this good run of form is that Gundogan's had a run in the side uh, and he's starting to fill that berth, if you like, that Silva left. Would you, is he as good as, I mean, obviously he's not in Silva's class, but these last few games, he has had an influence on all of those games in some way or another, hasn't he? He's done very, very well and added some very classy goals to his repertoire now so yes I think he's he's been I think unfairly maligned at times in the past but I think it's not it's almost hard to pick out individuals I mean KDP is exceptional every day of the week isn't he um, Gundogan Foden's been playing brilliantly and it's great to see Bernardo Silva getting a bit of a run in the team and getting his confidence back so I'm almost loath to pick out individuals we have an entire squad coming back into health and into fitness and into form, and it all augurs very, very well for a busy few months ahead. So, delighted with all of them, to be honest. I know Tony doesn't want to pick out individuals, uh, Steve, but you've got to pick out KDB, haven't you? Surely he's, he's just oh, outstanding, isn't he? Hey, absolutely. I mean, last night he was having an absolute blinder. The pass that he put on, or the cross that he put on for Stones, I cannot name another player playing at the moment that would have been able to put that there with that kind of precision with the number of players that were it was absolutely perfect and you know stone said all he had to do was get his head on the ball de bruyne gave him the perfect thing he's he is playing out of his skin he does look sometimes though when you get to about the 70th minute of a game he does start to look a bit tired so i'm pleased that pep's actually taking him off and giving him a bit of freshness for the next game because we really need him he does make us tick now that we haven't got silver there him and gundawan together seem to be that midfield engine room again so yeah kdb brilliant at the moment for me who stood out for you dave yeah i think you know Gundogan is a player I could, you know, wax lyrical about all day. I think he was, you know, the real standout star for me uh, against Palace. I, I think particularly he needs to be brought out because we've talked so much about the replacement for Silva. And we all talk about David Silva partly because of his longevity, like he was the same player throughout his time at Manchester City. And we saw that evolution as he, you know, grew older and wiser. And I think if we were going to say Phil Foden was going to replace David Silva, that's, you know, that's impossible. We're talking about a player whose job was to read the game, be the dynamo, almost set up the tempo of the team. And you cannot expect a, a 20, 21-year-old to go out and do that. Gondowan, however, has always shown that he has a very strong reading of the game. He's a very intelligent player. He isn't maybe blessed with the same level of 
technique passing range that we see from De Bruyne, but you could also make a case that David Silva was never blessed with the exact, you know, that same passing range that we see from KDB. I think Gundogan has been liberated a bit, partly by the fact that we are now playing a hold, you know, defensive midfielder full time in Rosri or Fernandinho on, on Tuesday, who is uh, committed to that specific role. And um, I think you know Gundogan has really been able to use his vision and the way that he he sees the game to facilitate the players around him whilst also increasing his own role in the way we move forward, the way we transition with the ball. And I think that's been the big change for the last few weeks as we start to look more incisive, as, um, as, as we said earlier, because Gunduan has been given that freedom and has the, you know, the, the, the reading of the game that Pep prizes so much and something that's so key to the style in which we play. I mean, I know, I know he's not played that much recently, but I've, I've been thinking a lot about Fernandinho. And I think when we write down our best ever City squad or our best ever City side, the more I think about it, the more Fernandinho is almost, I think he's going to make my my 11, actually. I just absolutely love Fernandinho. I know he's not played as much. He's maybe kind of in the autumn of his career now, but just the impact and the influence. I think he's one of the most underrated players ever to play for City and certainly to play in the Premier League. He doesn't get the plaudits that all these other sort of superstars get, but I think he's absolutely fantastic. And he's, as I say, 1 to 11, I, I think I'd put him in my, my starting 11. Is it, am I being, is that ridiculous or am I reasonably on the back? How many of you would kind of agree with me? Where are you, Steve, on this? Are you, where you tend to argue with me about most things. Would you disagree on this one as well? <laughs> no, I would absolutely agree with you on this. He's only just taken Bruno Fernandes out of his back pocket, to be fair, after the game the other week in the Carabao Cup. Um, Fernandinho never ceases to amaze me. For his age, he has amazing mobility. He seems to be able to do the dirty things that really need doing with the, almost like a semi-smile on his face. He's like a, a, a smiling assassin almost. He, he just takes people out in the nicest possible way without actually alerting the ref to what he's doing. And he, he knows when to take a yellow card. He's a brilliant player. He is a brilliant player. Is, is that you, Tony, giggling in the background there about our smiling assassin? Yes, it certainly was. I think he's... He adds that little bit of urgency that perhaps Rodri doesn't provide at the moment. I think that was almost the difference between the Brighton and uh, the Crystal Palace games. All of a sudden, he provides that cover at the back, but provides the incisiveness and the quickness to turn defence into attack. Sometimes we just slow it down a little bit too much, don't we, and allow teams to uh, get everyone back. So, no, he's a brilliant, again, underrated, modest player. Can I just add one point on KDB? Just, no, please. I was yeah. doing my uh, homework before, before the podcast today. Uh, I was just watching the highlights again last night. Very interesting, after he put in that unbelievable cross uh, last night. If you watched his reaction, no celebration. He just nonchalantly jogged over and, and returned to the halfway line. He's the most wonderfully modest character as well, which I think is, is astonishing. Any other player would have been after all the plaudits. Not him. He does the hard work and he does the brilliant work for the team and I adore him. They're not allowed to cuddle each other, you see, Tone. That's the problem. They've all got to just do a, you know, maybe a, a fist pump and, and, and then they're back to the halfway line anyway. They can't cuddle and kiss anymore. <laughs> True. Indeed. Uh, 
Anything else then about the, uh, I suppose, the goals? I, I did say we come back to the goals, and we haven't talked about Raheem Sterling, who, who's not scored in nine years or something. Had a new haircut, which has clearly had a huge impact, because it was stupid anyway. Uh, looks much better, and, and, and needed that goal. You could see the scream that he let out when he scored it in his celebration. Uh, fantastic free kick. Not easy, that. Made it look easy, but it's not easy, is it? Is it, Steve? No, it's not. And having had to face free kicks, you know, I know exactly what it's like when it gets put into that top corner and you can't do anything about it. Absolutely brilliant technique. Yes, I definitely think it's the hair. I'm sure, Nigel. I think you're right. Sure. Tony, I don't, you're probably too short to be a goalkeeper, but Steve was. Where, where did you play your football? Where did you play your football? Were you, were you a, a holding midfielder, I'm going for? I have no idea where you played again. Sale FC's second greatest ever left back. Left back, OK. Uh, I, I have... I have retired to goals at five aside these days, so uh, I do understand. No, it was it was it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, normally KDB would have taken it. Gundogan, um, I think we're all scratching our heads. And when we saw we saw Sterling stroll up to the ball, we were all a little bit surprised after his recent penalty misses. But no, fantastic technique to get it to dip like that at the end, and uh, no one was going to save that. So. Again, another one whose confidence I think will will hopefully only be improved and that augurs very, very well for the games ahead. All right. Final word on the Palace game with you, Dave. Do you want to pick out one of the goals or or pick up anything that's already been said? Or do do you want to quickly kick us off briefly on the Brighton game? Um, I think the one thing I just want to flag on the Brighton game, just in terms of the progression of Phil Foden, um, you know, the Brighton game in many ways brought me even more heart than the Palace game because, you know, this is the old adage, you know, champions win ugly. It's one of those games where in, you know, plenty of phases of our recent past, we would have drawn that game. And that goal from Foden showed real presence of mind. He was able to pick the ball up, you know, move, you know, move well and find, you know, the, the only space in that goal he, that the keeper did not have covered. Beautiful finish basically passes it into, the, into that corner. The keeper wasn't expecting the shot to come at that point. It was a real presence of mind, intelligent finish. It's the sort of thing we've got used to seeing from Sergio Aguero, and I'm hoping that's a part of the game that Foden can use more in this attacking role is his sense of timing, knowing where to put those shots. And I think having a player like Foden so young who can just see, you know, just take the game in that moment and make that moment his, I think that was a really big one for us because it wasn't a hugely encouraging performance. You know, we'd have been really ruining that penalty miss if he'd not done that. And it was just one of those examples of the fact that he's, he's not a kid anymore. He's someone who can change games and win games for Manchester City. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a fantastic performance, was it, Tony? And, and they, to be fair to Brighton, still had a chance at the end there and, and they had good possession at the end and, and they looked fairly dangerous. And I suppose they could easily have snatched a point, which wouldn't have been unreasonable for them, I think. So very different to the Palace game. Your, your reflections on the, the game against Brighton? Yeah, I think we should say I thought Brighton are absolutely magnificent again against us. They came, they played with courage, they played with character. Uh, I thought they were brilliant and it was so refreshing to see a team just say, look, we're going to go toe-to-toe with you and uh, we're going to absolutely give it everything and we're not going to spend the entire 90 minutes fouling and playing for time. So they were great and we should reflect that. Um, But these days we score one, we tend to win, don't we? And I think that's the difference these days. Um, They did have a couple of half chances, but I was never, it was never quite squeaky bum time, was it? You're never entirely comfortable at one nil and we ground out 
a very good result against, as I say, what I think is a very, very good team. So, yeah, it wasn't quite as fluid as we would have liked, but it proved to be a great platform and onwards and upwards, and we certainly proved that against Palace. All right. Before we take our break, I just want to put a, a, something different on the table. And, and we always ask for people to come back with some questions and stuff to raise. And someone's raised the issue of uh, what I can only describe as the wank fest uh, that the press seem to have uh, about <laughs> Liverpool and Stretford and, and the hype and the, and the, and the praise and, and the coverage and the credit both teams have had. It was ironic, of course, it was probably the most boring nil-nil draw, which was, of course, the best result for us. But but why is it that there is so much going on about these two teams when, as I said in my introduction, we're, we're sitting very nicely two points behind the leaders with a game in hand. Uh, and City, why is it that City are not getting the credit, the coverage, the hype, the praise that these two clubs are? Who, who wants to kick off? Um, Dave, your, your, your thoughts on that, please. Well, um... I suppose, to an extent, long may it continue. I think it's quite a, a pleasant change for us to be the, um, you know, the almost the, you know, the dark horse who kind of people are almost written out of the title contention and we've just quietly gone about getting ourselves in order and sorting these things out. I mean, Liverpool, for some reason, I've never entirely understood. You know, the media do always seem to want to dig up, want them front and centre. And, you know, probably some of this is a function of the global fan base that Liverpool and Manchester United have. It's good for Premier League PLC for those two teams to be doing well in front and centre. I don't necessarily think it's especially so for the fans. I mean, Liverpool can play some exciting stuff. I very rarely see that from Manchester United. Um, I don't actually think Manchester United are going to be that big a threat for us going forward. So I was almost hoping that they would they would sneak it because I think Liverpool particularly as players come back, will pose a bigger threat. But I'm very happy for the media to keep focusing on those two teams and let us quietly rack up points. I think that's a, quite a nice position for us to be in. Steve, it's a wank fest. <laughs> well, it, there, there's an awful and lot of bias in the media towards Liverpool and Manchester United, more towards Liverpool than anything else, which has made them my more hated club than Stratford, to be honest with you. I find it hard to um, to, to dislike them less than Stratford. Um, and I think... I really don't know what's driving it other than, as Dave says, it's the international appeal of them with the fans that they actually have. I mean, you're right. They they keep talking about Liverpool and United being top, United being top. Then then they suddenly remember that City have got games in hand. We've been quietly going about our business and just getting on with it. And actually, to be fair, this week, we started to get noticed a bit more on the pods that I've listened to today. There's been a lot more talk about City and how they think that City actually are probably... um, more likely to get ahead of the other two at some stage or other because they're they're less fallible at the moment. So it could be interesting to watch going forward. And uh, I'm sure that Liverpool will still be um, feeling they can run away with the title and United will be feeling they can run away with the title, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, well, Tony, Steve reckons that uh, people are starting to talk about City, but it's taken half a season to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I think it's a fair call. Um, that Stretford team haven't been the top six team all season yet. And all of a sudden, people are getting overexcited about how good they are, despite being dumped out of the Champion League and completely outplayed by us in the League Cup. So it has been extraordinary, but that's the uh, 
rag-centric and scouse-centric media for you. But uh, I don't know what's going on with you tonight. We, we've talked about John Stone's penis and, and a wank fest. A, a, a pint of bromine for our esteemed host, I fear. All right. I'll, I'll think what we'll do then. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll, in, in a moment, we're going to talk about uh, Pep and his more pragmatic approach. We're going to look forward to Villa and Cheltenham Town, and we might have some time to talk about the transfer window. In the meantime, I'm off for a pint of bromine, and we'll be back straight after this break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Listen, let's just start with Pep. Said at the start, happy birthday, Pep, 50 years old today. Um, this more sort of pragmatic approach he's taking, others have talked about it's all to do with the Champions League um, and wanting to win that. So in the past, our goal difference, our great goal difference has all been about the goals we've scored. But our goal difference this year is actually all about the lack of goals we've conceded. So uh, a very different approach here. And I just want to spend a few minutes, if you like, just exploring that for a moment. Dave, do you, want, do you want to give us your view on that, this more pragmatic approach from, from Pep? It is different, isn't it? Sure, and a very happy 50th birthday to our artisan-in-chief. But I think it's um, important, you know, we've discussed this um, on various occasions about Pep, that the big thing that he, you know, it, not to, that he has to prove anything, he's packed more into his, um, you know, into his managerial career to date than most ever will in a lifetime. But the Champions League and winning it with a team other than Barcelona has been a big, um, you know, a, a bit of a millstone around his neck, the fact he hasn't done this. And I think this is something that he is going, you know, the board want him to deliver and he personally will want to deliver for Manchester City. Now, we all know, you know, the things that have been our undoing in the Champions League have been defensive lapses. Uh, sometimes it's been a failure to take chances, but often it's been at the back that we've been let down. It was clear going into the transfer window that defenders would be a priority. He picked, um, you know, um, Beginnerstein, you know, came up with the goods of Ruben Diaz, who looks to be a very shrewd selection. And in turn, there's been a bit of a focus on the defence from the start. And we can see that, you know, it's, it's elicited results in that we are conceding much less than usual. We're often winning games now by, um, you know, by not conceding rather than scoring lots and still find ourselves in a very healthy position with goal difference. But, you know, this is still Pep Guardiola. I don't think Guardiola... It, you know, has been converted to the Warnock school of football and we're going to find that, you know, it's uh, all about defending and uh, big tackling from now on. He's got this defence set up and he wants to use that as a platform for that creative football. So whilst, yes, we could say it's a more pragmatic pep, I think it's more that he's, you know, he's fixed the problem and now he wants to use that to bring back that flair and the artisan, that, you know, we, the artisan style that we've seen from... City in previous seasons. So I think, you know, we're actually coming into a, a, you know, he's going to return to that style 
but with this much stronger platform on which you can build that. Steve, your thoughts? Well, I, I think that ultimately he's trying to win the Champions League. And in the past, our defence has proved our Achilles heel as far as the Champions League is concerned. Sometimes you go 1-0 down in the Champions League, you don't have the opportunity to come back from it, no matter how pretty you actually play. So I think well, sooner or later we had to change our approach. It hasn't worked thus far. So I think he's actually gone to that more pragmatic version of it. And and, and as I said before about the Mancini thing, you know, we discovered at that time that teams were built really on defence first. And I think having that solidity at back gives us a lot more courage going forwards. People are less worried about being broken on. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's the right way to go forward. And, and it, it doesn't detract from the viewing at all. I've still enjoyed the games at the moment. And, and Tony Newsgrosh is enjoying them as well, aren't you, Tony? I, well, it's always nice when you win, isn't it? No, Brighton was... was was hard work at times for us all, but yeah, it's it's fair to say that the best teams know how to win one nil occasionally, and I think that's what we've we've proved to do with with what is it eight clean sheets out of the past ten or something now, all good. Sure, let's look, let's look forward then, and, and I'm fascinated. The games are coming thick and fast. People say they never say games are coming thick, do they? Thick has to go with fast, as they wouldn't make any sense, does it? If those games are coming yeah. thick. So why is it, I don't, whatever that means. Whatever it means, games are coming thick and fast, I'm sure. And we have the mighty Aston Villa coming up midweek. And then that Cheltenham Town. What, I mean, again, we've got to do win the cup uh, the hard way. Another away fixture for the Blues. They're making us work for our title again this year. Away again. And this time it just happens to be Cheltenham Town. Let, let's stick with Villa first, who have had a decent start, of course. And this is this game that was... Uh, in the diary for earlier on, and it's our game in hand. So, thoughts about the Villa game then, uh, Steve Cox? Well, it's going to be difficult to tell who Villa are going to put out on the pitch because they've had a lot of trouble with um, COVID. I mean, we had experienced a little bit of trouble ourselves, and they have certainly had a bit of trouble with it. So, it's really hard to second-guess what team they're actually going to play. That said, we're more than capable of... um, doing our thing and actually getting a win out of it. I think um, with the way we're progressing at the moment, we're starting to get the confidence and we're starting to get winning runs together. And that really will help us. Villa, I think you're, you're quite right to point out, did have a great start and their league position at the moment is a little bit belied by the fact that I think they've got about three games actually in hand at the moment, which one is against us. So um, I actually feel a bit sorry for Villa because they were building up ahead of steam um, and it seemed to have taken the wind out of their sails a little bit. But um, I don't care who they beat as long as it's not us on uh, Wednesday. Uh, and obviously with the games coming fast and thick or coming thick, whichever way you look at it, um, you've got a situation where Pepe is going to rotate. And of course, Phil Foden, brilliant run, scored that fantastic goal against Brighton. Of course, he was then rested. Um, so does that mean he'll, he'll start then, um, Tony? Is, is that the way it's going to work? Is that, or do you think potentially he could go back just having him rested? What's your, what's your view of Foden against Villa? Listen, I'd be delighted to see him start, but you never quite know with Pep. He, he certainly keeps us all on our toes and indeed the players. Um, but I think we'll be entertained whatever team he puts out. I think Villa have put on a good show this season. I can't see they'll come and just defend for 90 minutes. As, as Steve said, it's difficult to know. On the one hand, they've, they've had a good rest now. They might be fully refreshed. On the other hand, I suspect they've got many a player still sadly recovering from COVID or suffering from long COVID. 
Um, look, whatever. It's an opportunity for us to go top of the league for at least, I think, 15 minutes, isn't it? So let's take it. <laughs> Looking forward to that then, Dave. Oh, I think it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting one. Um, my concern going into it, um, you know, Villa have one world class player in Jack Grealish. I think he, you know, the hype that he gets is very much deserved. I think he's a player of the sort of intelligence that Pep would appreciate, and I don't think that Pep will uh, run any risk of underestimating him going into the game. Uh, my concern is that Villa will possibly try and push him, maybe drift into the right slightly to. Um, try and exploit some of our weaknesses at left-back, and I'm sure that's something we're going to have to be very wise to. But that said, it's one of those situations where if we can shut him down, if we can stop Grealish um, having too much of a ball, starting to dictate possession, move us around a bit, um, I think we're in a, we, you know, this should be a game where we can, we can take the three points. Um, it is going to be a Jack Grealish nullification exercise, really. Fair enough. And let's look at Ch- Cheltenham Town. Uh, dream tie for them, of course, and uh, delighted to see, uh, I think, the club themselves and the supporters club were kind of advertising these virtual tickets for people to get involved to raise some funds. So sad that in this year they, they get drawn against the mighty Manchester City and they've got to have an empty stadium. But uh, I know tens of thousands of pounds has been raised by that. I've certainly bought my virtual ticket. I hope you guys have as well and encourage anybody else uh, listening to, to do that. Um, uh, I think it's a good cause and we should be supporting these small clubs and and, uh, great that we should be going to Cheltenham Town, a, a ground I've never been to. Um, but uh, you'd like to think, whatever side we put out there, it should be uh, we should be through to the next round. I would have thought, shouldn't we, Steve? Well, assuming the uh, pitch is um, to our liking, I guess. Um, I did buy my own virtual ticket, and I'm more than happy to put ten pound into it. I mean, to be fair, we'd have probably been charged a bit more if we'd have actually gone to the ground. But uh, you know, I really think that it's a good cause, and everybody should be backing it. Um, be interesting to see whether we put out more of the kids actually against them. Um, against them really because I think it will be nice to see people like Tommy Doyle getting some minutes um, when we can rest probably some of the other players although if you're a Cheltenham Town fan you'd want to be watching De Bruyne um, and you'd want to be watching Foden and you'd want to have Sterling there and you'd love to have someone like Aguero Jesus wouldn't you so it really depends what team we put out as to whether we find it difficult or whether we actually find it you know relatively um, easy uh, and also the, you know what it's like it's a cup final for them isn't it really initially sure. they're, they're, just, they're just looking to, to see if they can stump one on us and punch us on the nose and uh, you know good on them if they do uh, and Tony we've seen sort of the likes of Liam Delap and, and as Steve says Tommy Doyle on the bench last couple of games it would be nice to see them get in the game oh absolutely yes and likewise I've never been to Cheltenham Town's ground I have been to their training ground which is another story so uh, <laughs> yes a small club and I'm sure it will be a good occasion for them yeah let's let's have a few of the kids out there and let's have let's just enjoy it you know it's it's hard for everyone at the moment in the current climate you just want to watch a good honest game of football so I hope that's what we'll see and uh, I'm sure we'll win your thoughts ahead of that game then, Dave, before we move on to other things? I, I will confess I can't do a great deal of analysis of the opposition, given my <laughs> almost complete lack of knowledge of Cheltenham Town FC, its glorious history and current squad. But, um, you know, I, I would echo that one criticism I have had of Guardiola in recent seasons is that perhaps he's been a little too cautious in the Cups. He has maybe played slightly stronger sides than... I would want to see, um, you know, I think it's a very good opportunity for us to give the youth players a game. You know, a ch- chance to get a Harwood Bellis, um, 
Liam Delap, you know, some of these players who've been at the fringes of the squad, generally, um, you know, given good account of themselves when they've been given the opportunity. I'm hoping that Guardiola takes this opportunity to um, to let them let them show what they can do again. All right, good. Well, time will tell. We look forward to those two fixtures, and we'll talk about those on next week's show. Of course, that's the Villa League game and uh, Cheltenham Town away away in the cup. Can we just finish on? Uh, a subject we'll probably do this week and next week, which is the the transfer window. Um, and, and before we do that, because it's linked to it, um, I guess we will talk a lot about a striker. And, and it's been the question has been asked, understandably, you know, is there a problem with Gabriel Jesus? And, and we talk about this a lot. Uh, people, we've talked about this again. Aguero, how on earth do you replace Sergio Aguero? It's impossible. But has he has he fallen short? Uh, if he was doing better would we not be having these conversations will we just see him as a natural replacement where, where where do we sit on the Gabriel Jesus situation and in turn where we see the transfer window and where the opportunities are for Manchester City so uh, your thoughts on on that day first do you want us to sort of kick off on on the transfer window and where you see there being opportunities I mean, I, I am a big Gabriel Jesus fan. Um, I do not see that. Uh, I feel a lot of the criticism he gets is unduly harsh. I think he absorbs a huge amount of value with his sort of play with his back to goal, which in the current system we're playing in particular is very important. I think a lot of our issues actually come from not having a adequate out-and-out left winger, uh, which is something that isn't really talked about too much, but it's something I'd quite like to see us work on. But it kind of feels like this window... Is not one where there's going to be a huge amount of activity from us, which does in turn surprise me because I thought there'd be a few clubs looking to make some important sales to sort of shore up, uh, shore up their own balance sheets going into you know, coming out of this very difficult period for all concerned. Um, in terms of the striker, there's pretty much only one that I can get really excited about. He's currently playing in Germany. He's got, you know, he's always linked with us. And, you know, the, the height and power that he will give us would add us something, something very different. But um, I, I think, you know, something as important as the succession plan for Sergio Aguero, you really don't want to be making you know, a mid-season January transfer unless you're absolutely sure the right targets come up. OK. Steve? Yeah, it's, it's, January is always a difficult window because nothing really ever comes becomes available that's really worth going after i think the only person we've bought in recent years where i'd say we kind of got them at that time of year was laporte and that was a very very rare find um as far as strikers go i agree with dave that the only one i really see the benefit in going after with any kind of verb has got to be harland because i think he would fit our playing style perfectly and it offers more than we've already got at the moment that'd be the only upgrade that i can see um we are a little bit weak on the left hand side there's talk of us possibly looking at um, a left back potentially from atletico madrid i forget the name of the guy but um he sounds like a, a promising character but that probably wouldn't happen much before the summer I wouldn't have thought uh, Mendy for me has pretty much had his day and I don't see Zinchenko as being much more than backup if anything actually I probably prefer Zinchenko playing a little bit further forward uh, but he's not really what you would call a, a left winger he's more of an attacking midfielder defensive midfielder so I think there's not a lot we could do to actually improve the current squad other than perhaps looking for a, a longer term Fernandinho replacement as well potentially left back and Haaland as a striker so, Tony, so some targets mentioned, but it looks like the summer seems to be the preferred time to do the business, not not in this January window. So, potentially, not a lot of business for City. No. 
Agreed. In fact, not a lot of business for anyone at the moment, it would appear. It's been extraordinarily quiet, the transfer window, hasn't it? So, yeah, I'm not too surprised. As I say, if we could get Haaland next summer, that would be absolutely fantastic. And I think uh, a potentially a, a worthwhile replacement for Sergio, albeit I hope he will stay. As for your, your original question, is there a problem with Gabriel Jesus? Um, yeah, he was rubbish last night, I thought, to be honest. Uh, and I'm not just pulling him for miles by saying that. Um, yeah, he's almost trying too hard, isn't he? He was, I, was some, one point I saw him, he was overlapping on the right wing. And you're just like, you know, just be a little bit selfish. You know, we want to see you getting a scruffy little tap in from a couple of yards occasionally. And that's what we need our centre forward to do. So, yeah, he's almost trying too hard, I think. Just, just get a soft goal and, and build your confidence and let's take it from there. All right. Well, listen, huge thanks to my three guests, to Steve Cox, to Tony Newgrosh and to Dave Hodgson. This is Nigel Opp and saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.